0: Hello greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us and we're very glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. It is written in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and in verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart and Yahweh has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. Now, in this verse, we learn that God, Yahweh, has sought a man after his own heart. Now, what's going on here is this is the reign of Saul. And Saul's reign, in fact, had barely begun. Uh, He and his army had gathered at a place called Gilgal to fight the Philistines, who encamped across the way at a place called Michmash. Uh, Because the places weren't too far apart, uh, Saul got kind of uh, apprehensive about the situation. He had asked Samuel to come and offer sacrifice before they'd go and fight. But Samuel seemed to be delayed. And Saul's looking, he's seeing that some of the men are starting to lose heart, that he's starting to lose some of his men. And so he took it upon himself, the text says, to uh, offer the sacrifice. Uh, And uh, this is part of Samuel's chiding of Saul that Yahweh was going to establish Saul's kingdom in Israel forever, but now he's going to seek this man after his own heart uh, to lead Israel because Saul rebelled against him. Now, who would be this man after God's own heart? The rest of the narrative in First and Second Samuel will tell us, and Paul will also make it clear in Acts 13 and 22, uh, explicitly connecting uh, this particular verse with David, the son of Jesse. And so we do well to consider, as part of God's people, who is a man after God's own heart? Why was David called a man after God's own heart? And what made him so different from Saul? And how can we learn from his example to be men and women after God's own heart? When it comes to David, we see in chapter 16 that that Saul Samuel is called to go to uh anoint a son of Jesse and he finds out that it's the youngest it's it's David and we learn that he is a liar player who plays for Saul but we really introduced him in chapter 17 Uh, and we can understand in chapter 17 how David is a man after God's own heart he maintains strong confidence not really in himself as much in Yahweh working through him and so this is the situation of David and Goliath Now Goliath has been you know Boasting and having caused all kinds of concern for all of the Israelites, uh, with his challenge, he comes and delivers every day. But notice how David approaches him in verse about him, verse twenty-six. He asks, "What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God?" And we look in verse thirty-four to thirty-six when Saul. Asked him since he's but a youth how he's going to fight him uh david says hey i used to keep sheep uh for my father and if a lion or a bear uh would come i'd come after him strike him deliver the land that it had taken out of its mouth and he has uh, struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living god and when he's actually in front of goliath in verse 45 the taunt after after Goliath's taunt he provides his own taunt you come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that Yahweh saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give you in. Into our hand so you can see throughout it's not me it's not anything else it's God's power God's going to do this David is close to God's heart because David puts his trust in God and does not trust in himself and throughout the rest of first Samuel David will present himself as that humble servant he's trusting Yahweh for his vindication He's not going to kill Saul, because Saul is Yahweh's anointed, even though Saul would very much like to kill him. When Saul dies, David begins to gain power. But he even then laments over the death of Saul and Jonathan. He did not consent to treachery done in his name, even though it benefited him politically. When he receives full uh, the full throne of all Israel, beginning in Second Samuel chapter 5, he reigns with justice and moderation. He gains victory on account of his confidence in Yahweh. And of course, when we think about David, it's hard not to think of the sin he committed with Bathsheba. And that absolutely is a major mark against him. But even in that moment of of despair, when it is made known to him, the, the, the gravity of his sin and the consequences, we can then read in Psalm 51 the kind of heart David has. Because in Psalm 51 is a psalm that he goes to, to write and pray after Nathan has confessed. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me the wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Then he goes on, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. He finishes off with some talk about some sacrifices. So you notice throughout there how how David, even in his moment of transgression, he calls upon God, he he admits his sin, he wants to be forgiven, he wants to take the opportunity to convict others of sin. He does not want God to take his spirit away from him. And he understands that it's a broken and contrite heart that is precious in the sight of God, which is compelling for a man who is a leader of Israel and who has all the reason to boast and vaunt in the world, uh, yet doesn't because he understands who he is before God unfortunately psalm 51 has been used to suggest total depravity original sin yes uh, he speaks in powerful words i was brought forth in iniquity that that's how he feels and if we're honest with ourselves if we've had moments where we've recognized great transgression in our lives we feel the same way so david's giving voice to that feeling even if that feeling is not objectively correct we can feel the anguish that david's going through because of his sin and the rest of second samuel especially is really david living out the consequences of his actions he sees his children rape and murder each other even uh, trying to overtake the throne but throughout david will continue to accept his fate he trusts that yahweh will provide him redemption and deliverance in the very end of second samuel in the story we also see uh, in, a, in a more contextually accurate spot in, in first chronicles 21 david has made an authorized census and and because of that, there's going to be a great punishment that he's that the people will have to endure. And so at this point, it's Gad. Gad is the one who comes to him uh, and tells him that he's going to have to decide what uh, it's going to be done here. And so... The uh, one of the the things offered to him, shall three years of famine come to you in your land, or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you, or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide uh, what answer I shall return to him who sent me, Yahweh. So David said to him in verse 14, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of Yahweh, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. And so there would be a pestilence, but the, pestilence, the hand of the angel of Yahweh would be stayed at the place where the temple would be built. And so even there you see, let me fall into the hands of Yahweh. His mercy is great. Let me not fall into the hands of man. Now, in his older age, David would direct his efforts toward preparing to build a temple for Yahweh because he was told, hey, you're not going to build this yourself. You have too much blood in your hands. Your son will do that for you. But he made sure, in, in, and we can see this in the rest of the first Chronicles account of David's existence, that all the arrangements were made for a service. Now, Not mentioned, but during uh, earlier times, we can see his devotion to Yahweh and his purposes with the retrieval of the ark. The ark, uh, first they try to move it, Uzzah try to balance it. it. The whole thing was wrong, Uzzah was struck dead, so David made sure it was done right. It was brought to Jerusalem. He danced before it in such a way that caused his wife Michael to look at him with contempt. But in the end, it was Michael who was spurned, not David, because David was dancing with great joy because of what it meant for the ark to be coming uh, into the city of David that he had been able to win. David made provision to organize the Levites for their service. He decreed the use of instrumental music in the temple and those who would play them. And that order would be remembered when Hezekiah restores it and speaks of it. It's commanded by David, and it is done through the spirit spirit that is present in david david made sure that the end to exhort israel and especially solomon to make sure the temple would be built in first chronicles 28 that was very important to david and so from beginning to end in everything he did david put his trust in yahweh and he trusted in yahweh over anybody else and he would rely on yahweh he would come back to yahweh and all these things Now, we can see this especially powerfully when we contrast it back with Saul. Because in 1 Samuel 13, when we read about God seeking one after his own heart, David had not been called yet. It's an indictment of Saul's behavior. And we can see why Saul fell short and where David succeeded. Now, Yahweh had commissioned... uh, Saul to exact vengeance on the Amalekites in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. He did so, but he didn't entirely exterminate Amalek as he had been commanded. And what's fascinating in in this exchange that you see between uh, Samuel and Saul on this account is um, that Saul will say to him, blessed be you to Yahweh. I have performed the commandment of Yahweh. And Samuel asks, what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul says, I, "They have been brought from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to Yahweh your God. And we have devoted the rest to destruction. But Saul, Samuel tells him, stop, I will tell you what Yahweh spoke to me this night. You know, we went through all these things. And, and and condemned. Asked him why he didn't obey the voice of Yahweh. But so will protest, I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh. I have gone on mission, I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction, but the people took the best of the spoil to offer to him. And then Samuel cries out, Has Yahweh great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he has also rejected you from being king. And that's when Saul realizes his transgression. And Samuel, of course, will pray for him, but the, it's been done. And you see, Saul is convinced he understands what Yahweh wants, even though he's not explicitly listening to do exactly what Yahweh said to do. And once the spirit of Yahweh leaves Saul and comes upon David, Saul will become jealous and will seek David's death. Even though David would show mercy on Saul on, on, on a couple occasions when he had these chance, Saul continually thirsted to lead to the demise of David. In fact, in 1 Samuel 22, Saul will go so far as to slaughter a whole town of priests because they were conv- he was convinced they had supported David over him. Now, this was to fulfill a prophecy about the end of the house of Eli. Uh, much earlier. On the other hand, the way it was done was abominable. The idea of priests being slaughtered uh, was horrific. David would not harm Saul, the anoint of Yahweh, but Saul did not feel the way in return. And in chapter 28, it's very interesting also, uh, something indicted in First Chronicles 10. Once Yahweh no longer spoke to Saul on the eve of battle of the Philistines. Uh, he didn't hear from Daiphate or prophet or dream. Uh, it wasn't enough. He, ha- he turned to a necromancer. He-, he had turned to the very thing that he, the people he'd expelled out of the land because of dedication to some of Yahweh's principles um, to find out what happens. And Samuel then came to him and said he was going to die. And the chronicler will say, this is a, one of the reasons why Saul's doom came that next day. It's because he did this thing. Here's a very important sharp contrast here. It's very easy to turn Saul into a completely bad guy. We need to resist that temptation. He's not an atheist. Okay, He's not even condemned for idolatry. You think about all the other kings of Israel and Judah will be condemned for idolatry. He's not condemned for idolatry, even though uh, the names of Ishmael and Meribaal in 1 Chronicles 9 would suggest that maybe there's some Baal influence going on, but nowhere in the text does he ever condemn for that. In Saul's mind, he's a believer in Yahweh who trusts in him. But really what Saul's doing is he's trusting in his own ways. Whenever, you know, there's a, a, a moment where he is convinced he knows better, or if the, the, the chips are down, he's going to do his own thing. He's going to do whatever it takes for him to succeed. So when Samuel's delayed, he's going to make the sacrifice. When Amalek was said to be exterminated, the people started bringing back the best to sacrifice to yeah, well, That made sense because that was the way everything else was. He didn't appreciate the thoroughness of the com- commandment to devote it all to destruction. He didn't hear from Yahweh. Okay, well, we'll we'll conjure up uh, the spirit of Samuel through a necromancer, even though that is explicitly condemned. David, on the other hand, trusts in Yahweh. When David sees Goliath, he's motivated by Goliath's disdain for Yahweh and his people, not confidence in his own strength. In chapter 17. Now, we know the lapses that David have in judgment, uh, but otherwise he seeks the will of Yahweh truly he calls upon him truly he trusts in Yahweh's strength to succeed and he doesn't go behind the back if he doesn't get the answer he doesn't uh, think it's, it's really the way he wants it to be done and even the two times he transgressed with Bathsheba and with the census he begged for mercy from Yahweh and threw himself on the mercy of Yahweh in ways that Saul simply did not do. And so that's why Samuel tells Saul that Yahweh is seeking man after his own heart. One who seeks to trust in Yahweh, not in himself. And so I hope we can understand why Yahweh chose David and removed his spirit from Saul. David trusted in Yahweh fully. But really, we've not even gotten into the real faith of David until we get into the Psalms. It's in the Psalms of David that we really get to see how David is a man after Yahweh's own heart and how we can be men and women after God's own heart because God gave David voice to give us to speak to turn our heart toward him Psalm 3 is the first one when that is listed from David it's when he fled from Absalom his son oh Yahweh how many are my foes many are rising against me many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him and God but you, O oh Yahweh, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to Yahweh, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for Yahweh sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O oh Yahweh, save me, O oh my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to Yahweh, your blessing be on your people. So He's crying out for distress. He's in distress. He's got enemies around, but he puts his trust, you know, you, I will lay down, you woke me. I'm awake because you sustain me. You will destroy my enemies. Uh, you see deep faith also in the next psalm, in Psalm 4. Uh, know that Yahweh set apart the godly for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him in verse 3. In Psalm 6, another cry to stress about enemies and how strong they are. Uh, He he's weary with his moaning verse 6 every night I flood my bed with tears I drench my couch with my weeping my eye wastes away because of grief it grows weak because of all of my foes but then in verse 8 depart from me all you workers of evil for Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping Yahweh has heard my plea Yahweh accepts my prayer all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled they shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment he's confident not because of him but because of God Psalm 8 the great meditation uh, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Glorifying what God has made in, in the in the universe and the heavens, but recognizing the majesty that God has given to man. In Psalm thirteen you uh, know many of these Psalms are other remedies. but we're just pointing out some Psalm 13 uh, you think about the faith here how long O Yahweh will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day how long shall my enemy be exalted over me consider and answer me O Yahweh my God light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's a moment of, you know, we, we have that. We can identify with that. A moment where we feel like God is far away. And yet David, that moment of God seems far away, he cries upon him, But he keeps his confidence that God actually is near. That God is, God will heed. God will listen. God will provide. God will sustain. Psalm fourteen is famous. Uh, The fool says in his heart, "There is no God." Not that he is an atheist; he is a. It's that he acts as if God's not paying attention. Therefore, he can do whatever he wants. And yet, God is with the generation of the righteous. Uh, You would shame the plans of the poor, but Yahweh is his refuge. Psalm sixteen: God again, David again, trusts in God's sustenance. Psalm nineteen: The heavens and the earth testify to God's majesty, and he meditates, the law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul, the testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart, the commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes, the fear of Yahweh is clean and doing forever, the rules of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. By, moreover, by them as your servant worn, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over me then i shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression david even though he's close his relationship with god is always on the lookout for sins of presumption and things he's not aware of chapter 22 we look at in terms of jesus but it's david who wrote it about the great anguish and yet vindication that would come and of course psalm 23 yahweh is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the valley, this is the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. We could spend... Long time, going through all the Psalms of David and seeing how his great faith is manifest. And and more importantly, that he gives the people of God voice to speak to God. To talk about their troubles, to talk about their moments of crisis, their their, their moments where they need healing, the moments of of lap of faith, so that they can come back to God. And and there's a a very powerful form of, of psalm that we've seen here, many lament psalms. But in these lament psalms, lament psalms by David don't just end in lament. They don't just sit there. David brings them back to a point of faith. And that's how we can become men and women like David, men and women after God's own heart. It comes back to faith, that in the end we cry out, we have our anguish, we have our distress, we have our issues, we have our problems, but in the end we trust that God is there for us, that he is, he is our creator, and he has uh, maintained his steadfast love toward us. How can we develop that faith? Well, a way forward would be to imbibe David's meditation in the Spirit in the Psalms, to make his words our own, to grow in them until we can cry them out with any hint of hypocrisy or inconsistency. Uh, from them we draw the same strength and faith that uh, the people of God have drawn for generations. So yes, Yahweh has sought a man after his own heart in the days of Samuel and Saul, and he found him in David. Is David perfect? No. And that's also important. Uh, To be a man after God's heart doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it does mean that you need to be trustworthy. David put his relationship with Yahweh above all else and trusted in him, deeply trusted him in every respect. And it's for this reason, in 2 Samuel 7, that Yahweh would make David's house last forever. So David was after Yahweh's own heart. He loved him and ruled well over his people. And from David would come Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one we should follow and embody. In Romans 8, 28. Becoming conforming to the Son. In First John 2, 3-6. through 6, That we do his commandments. And then we walk even as he walked. And therefore, let us be men and women after God's own heart. Following after Jesus. In the example of David. Uh, our ancestor in the faith. We hope that you've been benefited by this. And if you have, we encourage you to share it with your friends, family, and others on social media. If we can be of any service to you, if perhaps you'd like to learn more about us, if you'd like to uh, Bible study, prayer request, um, maybe you'd like to meet with us, uh, you can find us online at org. We're also on social media. Uh, perhaps you'd like to contact me personally. If I can be of any service, please uh, reach me at my website, uh, diverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. I again thank you. Have a great day.